Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, you are listening to New Books and Biblical Studies, a channel of the New Books Network. I'm your host, Jackson Reinhardt, and today I'm joined by Wendy North, uh, an honorary research fellow in the Department of Theology and Religion at University of Durham, to talk about her new book, What John Knew and What John Wrote, A Study in John and the Synoptics, published by Lexington Books, Fortress Academic. Wendy, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. In this book, North investigates whether or not the author of John could have crafted his gospel with knowledge of the synoptics. Unlike previous approaches, which have usually treated the gospel of John as purely a piece of independent literature, this new work undertakes a fresh approach by examining how John's author reworks the material that can be identified with his own text, and also within Jewish scriptures. An assessment of these techniques allows North to then compare the Gospel of John with its synoptic equivalents and to conclude at last that John indeed worked with knowledge of the synoptics. Well, Wendy, thank you again so much for joining me. This book was highly persuasive, highly interesting, I think a worthy contribution to uh, Johannine studies. And so before we discuss the contents of the book, can you elaborate on your academic background and the scholarly journey that led to the writing of what John knew, what John wrote? Well, I shall do my best. Um, It was not a straightforward route at all. Um, When I first went to university, I went to do an entirely different subject um, where I thought my future lay. Um, I was mistaken in that. I didn't do very well, Um, and so consequently I found myself, to cut a long story short, uh, in my final year, uh, and that involved being part of a different department in Newcastle, which was the Department of Divinity then, so-called. And in that year I found myself sitting round a table Uh, with a lecturer who went through John's Gospel from start to finish. I hadn't come across it before, and I was fascinated by it. It seemed to come in at a totally different angle to most things, and I I was very taken with it. I remember that quite clearly. Um, Thereafter, um, Fascinated though I might be, 
I decided that four years as a student, thank you, was quite enough. Uh, and I trained as a teacher uh, and then taught um, several subjects, but including New Testament. And then it was at the end of that, so we're looking at sort of three or four years beyond, uh, that I found myself then in Hull uh, and with the opportunity to uh, do some more work. At that point, I walked into the theology department uh, and said to the professor, I would like to do some work on John's gospel. Uh, He didn't know me, of course, and I didn't know him. And he very wisely asked me if I knew any of the relevant languages. Well, of course, I didn't, did I? Um, And that must have been all too clear how ill-prepared I was. And so I I began from there. I began from that point. Um, And so it was really much later uh, by the time I got to a point where I could actually do the research but it had stuck with me from that uh, that first um, introduction to it that I would like to work on John. Well, thank you so much. Uh, the fr- the end of the Gospel of John has this wonderful passage about how the history of Jesus's life could fill more books than could possibly be written, and yet so many scholars of the 20th century say that John was not knowledgeable of the synoptic tradition, or at least did not work with them. He worked on an independent basis. What were some of the main, who were some of the main proponents of this idea of an independent basis for John's gospel? And what is your book contending in contrast? Um, Well, when I first did do that uh, topic at my first university, so that was the late 1960s, um then C.H. Dodd was everything. His book, A Historical Tradition, published in 1963, was seen to put the final word on the relationship between John and the synoptics, i.e. there wasn't a direct relationship. There was a sharing of tradition that was, as it were, beneath the text. Um, And that was taken for granted. I I don't recall at any point anyone saying, no, it's not like that. Um, But as as the time went on and uh, there was a whole nest of people outside outside the UK and the US, um, mainly around um, Franz Neerink in Belgium, um, who, who had never taken the the Dodd point of view. And similarly in this country, C.K. Barrett, when he wrote his his huge and important uh, commentary on John, and I think that's in 1978, um, also did not go along with um, Dodd. So, I mean, there were were moments um, where people said, no, no, this isn't it. No, it's more direct. But as we got towards the close of the century and then the beginning of this century, it became much clearer that people began to question again, you know, whether there was a direct literary 
dependence on John. Was that does that answer your question, or was there more? No, that 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 completely does. Uh, what are some of the flaws with Dodd's reasoning, and also by extension, D. Moody Smith's, uh, with or, or rather the methodological limitations of their arguments that John was formed on an independent basis? I I think it was probably part of, you know, the feeling of the time that this was this was the case. And what John what what Dodd did was actually, you know, to put the finishing touches to a theory that showed that that was that was likely to be the case. Um, in the first chapter of my book, I do spend some time on C.H. Dodd um, and, and the argument, and we have to think, you know, of a, of a Cambridge professor in the 1960s, we have to think of that. Um, it, it's very dogmatic. Um, there are points, you know, where, where he's, it's perfectly clear he knows that there are links where you could, where you could put John together with other Gospels, but he has ways round of not dismissing them, but explaining them by other means. Um, if, if it's not rude of me, I would say that the argument was willful. Um, he was quite determined that it should be like that. And um, so this has been one of my criticisms to go through his work to an extent um, and one of the things that that he characteristically seems to have done is that where where John appears to be out on his own beyond the synoptic possibility then that has to be this isn't John working this has to be independent tradition so he fixes on that and does so in my view, all too easily uh, and all too smoothly, shall we say. Um, uh, equally, I mean, it was a hugely important book at the time, and the scholarship, of course, is is remarkable. Yeah. So what I appreciate and found fascinating about your work is that you ground John's dependence on the synoptics uh, beginning with an intratextual reading of how John employs prior material. Can you explain uh, your argument of, of how John is using or repeating himself, and what are the characteristics that uh, you derive from that intratextual reading? Well, it was a matter of proceeding in... And what I could see was the was the safe by the safest possible route, which meant that it it was more looking for certain material and less looking for imagination on what might have been. So I was looking for basic evidence that I could use uh, that would apply or could be applied to John in relation to the synoptics. And so my first port of call and what was going to give me that fundamental uh, um, material that I needed was to look at how John used John. In other words, there it was. It was the same guy using his own material 
in the same gospel, and it doesn't get closer than that. That was my thinking. And so in several cases, I looked at the way uh, John comes back to the same material again, sometimes more than once. So, for example, in chapter 3, he begins with Nicodemus, and he tells us quite a lot about Nicodemus. We get quite a lot of evidence. Um, And so the next question would be, well, what does he do with that when he comes back at the end of chapter 7? Nicodemus comes back in. How much of that original material, shall we say, his basic stuff, is coming out? What does he do with it? If so, what does he add? And so on. And then finally, um, Nicodemus arrives at the end, towards the end of the gospel in chapter 19, along with um, Joseph of Arimathea, when it comes to John's account of Jesus's burial. Um, Well, here we are again, you know, how much information from that first interview, so to speak, is actually being used by John when he brings Nicodemus back yet again. So it was that process that I was interested in. In each case, A, we have the basic material that John starts with. Uh, and in other cases, then also we have what happens when he brings um, the same characters or the same sayings, what I've called threads that thread through the gospel, um, the same sayings, um, the same material basically comes back. What does he do with it? So this was a simple matter of observation. Uh, When Nicodemus comes back, John doesn't do this, he does that, he does that, he does that. And so by the end of that particular exercise, um, and the third part incidentally was composition much more complexly, where John appears to tell a story, but he tells a story with previous information in mind. Rather more complex, but again, the same procedure. And by the time I got through all that information, which John kindly supplied, I did nothing beyond observe, uh, I was able to put together 10 features, 10 characteristic features of John's reuse of material that we could actually see happen in the gospel itself. So that was the basic method. Yes, and I thought the method, you you mentioned observe, and it's so different from that Dodd approach of kind of asserting an independent tradition of which there is no particular evidence for. And, and what, what, what I appreciated was you're saying, well, here's the evidence that John's using and he's employing. And so in your next chapter, you also look at how John uses Old Testament scripture and how John is interacting intertextually with the synoptics. And you use a, a bit of a different method uh, of signals, echoes, 
and relevant. So could you explain how John is interacting with the Old Testament and how that method is is a bit different, but in supportive? Yes. Um, so having observed, which is the fundamental stuff, how John uses John, it was here we, we can be utterly certain. Um, I moved on intertextually uh, to examine another source that we know John uses. It's perfectly clear that John has an extensive knowledge of Scripture and he works from Scripture. So uh, intertextually then, here is another source we know that he uses. Um, If that is the case, then how does he use it? Uh, The first thing was uh, that it was going to be better to do uh, John's allusions to scripture rather than his, you know, his, his quotes. First of all, he doesn't quote very much anyway. He's full of allusions to scripture. That's the first thing. But the second thing, if, if we want to know ultimately how John works material into his text, then that was the obvious area to go for. Um, and so I went for, again, the most straightforward thing I could find to do it, which was uh, thanks to uh, Richard Hayes' book. Um, and he, he tackles Sean's use of scripture from three perspectives. First of all, that if, if we want to fix an allusion to scripture in the text, we look first for a signal which will be exact, fairly exact. It will be clear what the reference point is. Secondly, there will be echoes of that original reference roundabout that would support the view that you've got, you've got to the right place of what the illusion is. And thirdly, what uh, Hayes calls relevance, which is whether whether the scripture he uses actually um, is consistent with what he's trying to say at that point. I've done less with that simply because I wanted the verbal evidence of A, there it is, B, here are the echoes of it, and how he puts that together. And what are some of the, regarding the synoptics, key similarities with employing this method? Where does John seem to allude or to directly quote uh, synoptic material? Um, I think the the piece that that first comes to mind is really uh, in the story of the anointing in John chapter 12, um, where he comes very close to Mark, so close. You know, he's... And there, there are points where he gets closer than the, than the other two synoptics do to Mark, and this is one of them. And this is the description of the oil for the anointing. That's very, very clearly from Mark. And he's also using, uh, the in the account of the anointing itself, um, he clearly is following something very much like Luke chapter 7, where a woman comes and anoints Jesus' feet. Uh, well, given if, if these are your two signals, shall we say, then then what about uh, what happens in context? And in this case, interestingly, 
the echoes of that actually do transfer to the raising of Lazarus story in chapter 11, which he himself links intimately with with the anointing in in 12. Thank you. Uh, Moving from uh, signal echo in your penultimate chapter, you discuss those 10 characteristics uh, that John intratextually reads, and you apply those to four test cases of the synoptics within John. For the sake of time, can you give an example or two of material John is utilizing and repeating much like he does himself? The... uh there are there are four examples, as you said. I'm just trying to pick pick them <laughs> the most clear. Um, in the feeding of the five thousand, I would have thought in John chapter six, you have plenty of scope there, where it seems very very clear uh, that John is actually using Mark in particular, uh, because you you can see the the references coming through. Um, in each case, what I did, I didn't begin with comparing the synoptics, which, which is such a usual method. I didn't. I, I started with trying to understand the Johannine piece for itself, what he was trying to do, because that's important, how it relates to the gospel in general and his particular interests. And it was only thereafter that I brought in my 10 possible tests, shall we say, from um, chapter 2, that I'd set out in chapter 2, and began to see if they were actually present. And in that case, uh, I had analysed, my analysis showed, in fact, that all 10 characteristics that I had isolated at the end of chapter two were visible in that particular piece. And what I what surprised me about your study was not that you were merely pointing out the times that John was dependent on Mark, but also the moments that John was dependent on Matthew or John was dependent on Luke, especially in the post-burial resurrection scene. Can you elaborate on the potential, the way in which John is augmenting uh, Luke or dependent on Luke in that post-resurrection scene? Yes. Um, what, what surprised me, what, what surprised me was the first time I came across something that was so clearly from Matthew. Um, I wasn't expecting that at all. Mark had got the hang of, Luke I was strongly suspected, Matthew came as a complete surprise. Uh, And the interesting thing is, and I think you asked about the post-resurrection material, uh, the interesting thing is that his use of Mark actually stops where Mark stops. So where Mark, you know, talks about the, the empty tomb and sort of leaves it all in the air, John stops using Mark then. And so from that point onwards, in come Matthew and Luke um, as, as the basis for his, his final part, you know, which, which 
to me was fascinating by himself by itself i mean he clearly i think knows mark but it is it is very clear that he does transfer so to, or, or as i i would put it he's got no more mark he does transfer to matthew and luke uh, in the peace greeting, for example, in Luke, Jesus, the post, post-resurrection Jesus, the greeting of, of peace. And Matthew, I would have thought uh, Thomas in particular. John's presentation of Thomas probably owes a great deal to Matthew, yes. Yes, thank you. So we have this this great, I would say, challenging study against independent positions of John, uh, a a thorough defense of the dependent case of John's gospel on the synoptics. What are the implications, as you mentioned in your conclusion, uh, the broader implications about this position, about stating that John is dependent on the synoptics? And how does this uh, answer uh, uh, Moody Smith's position of, of rough sailing? Yes, uh, just to elaborate on that, um, Moody Smith has said, and, and by the way, I have great respect for his work. You know, it's it's so thoughtful. Um, uh, but he said that the defense of John's knowledge of synoptics encounters rough sailing when one asks why, if he knew them, he used them as he did. So I tried, as I said in my final chapter, to avoid rough sailing, um, and to clarify the method uh, that John was using as, as much as I possibly could. I was able to isolate the way that John handles the material as best I could in, in certain ways. First of all, how John appears to appropriate synoptic material. And I use that word you know, um, with care, because it's not a straight copy. He doesn't work like that and add bits around the edge. He appropriates it in certain ways. And first of all, he appears to do so in terms of two things. Creativity, he works very creatively with his material. He can reorder events, he can add stuff, he can subtract stuff, he can do all sorts. But at the same time, there's also this rather remarkable constraint that happens. Now, that constraint can be verbal in the sense that suddenly, you know, we get a run of words that are exact to say mark. And also, um, he can focus, he can focus on particular things um, and... To a certain extent, you you can catch up on what he's doing by the way that he works. He is consistent. Again, he is consistent in these things. Um, So my second topic that I I rather dwelt on or tried to elucidate uh, in the final part was how John uses his gospel as a medium of communication. And this is where the that second study I did on John's intertextual use with scripture did help because it isolated what you might call these various signals in his text. So when we get some link with the synoptics 
that on the basis of use of scripture you might call a signal, is this then John signaling to his readers, as he would with a scriptural allusion, is he signaling to his readers that this it, he has in mind a synoptic passage of a particular kind and they're in a position to know that. Now, it's a nice thought uh, and it, it probably, hopefully, might tell us a very great deal about how the evangelist communicates with his readers and perhaps uh, what those readers already know. Because if he's, if he's signaling, then obviously he's not doing so to a blank canvas. So that may tell you a great deal. Uh, before we leave and, and close this out, uh, what other uh, what scholarship are you working on currently with regards to the Gospel of John? Uh, do you have any future projects related to this work or on the Gospel of John more broadly in the future? Uh, thank you for asking. Um, I've continued on from this to a certain extent so far. Uh, if if this particular book. Um, does show fairly conclusively that he knew and used the synoptics and want to work on that. Uh, And so what I've decided to do is to go back to John, assume that he knows that stuff, and see what it tells me about how he's put together his text. So I want to know how John has worked, given that he may know this Material. I've already done uh, a piece on John chapter 6, that's the feeding of the 5,000, and I'm working at the moment on John chapter 5, which is the cure of the paralytic, which, which as you know, comes up in Mark. Um, And also, um, I've done some work on John's presentation of the Roman trial, the trial before Pilate, from that particular perspective, i.e., given that he may know the stuff, how is he using it? How does it work? How does the the text actually work? Well, Wendy, thank you so much. I look forward uh, to seeing what new scholarship you produce in the future. My name is Jackson Reinhardt, and you have been listening to new books in biblical studies, talking about what John knew and what John wrote, a study of John and the synoptics. Thank you.